Joe David Wilson has graduated from this life. Going forward, we will continue to honor his legacy, knowledge, and love of thy Lord by continuing to play sermons pre-recorded prior to his graduation. We invite you to honor his memory by attending worship services or joining us online for a further Bible study. Welcome to In Search of the Mind of God. We invite you to search with us the mind of God. Searching His mind, we can always be sure our salvation will not be based on man's ideas or false feelings. It will never be our purpose to promote any denominational doctrine of any religious group. Man is fallible. God is not. This program is brought to you by the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ, 384 East Midway Road, White City, Florida. Bible study courses and personal teaching are available. We purpose to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Anything that uh, we're discussing, and it's the first one this morning is going to be the God of the living. In the book of Matthew, the 22nd chapter, the 31st and the 32nd verses, Jesus starts in verse 23, the same day there came to him the Sadducees, which say there's no resurrection, and ask him, Master, Moses said, if a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now, first of all, kind of ticks me off that they had the audacity to call Jesus Master. They had a bit more respect him as their master as you did uh, uh, anything else that's not of any religious incident. But they asked him the question to try to trick him, try to get him to uh, cross himself up in his speech. But sat down there were with us seven brethren. The first, when having married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, unto the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But now we get to what we want to discuss this morning. As touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. Many do not know the change that was wrought when Christ visited the Hadian world. It was something that was a part of the plan of God that when Christ came, that he would die in a human body. And that this human body would have to have been incarcerated or overwhelmed or have bestowed upon it sin. The reason that Jesus had to have become sin for us is that had he not become a sinner, he could not have gone to the Hadian world in death. It was Christ alone who came and told us of the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke the 16th chapter. No one knew the answers to the questions that had been asked of old. If a man die, shall he live? The steps that had led into the grave had never been seen leading out on the other side. The cry of the saints in paradise that were in the place that the rich man and Lazarus went to, part of which the rich man stayed, were those who were heard by the same God who went and delivered the Jews
from Egypt. I have heard. I have heard their cry. And come down to deliver them. In the Hadian world that was dispensed or discussed with us by Jesus in Luke the 16th chapter. If you're not familiar with that you need to turn and read the story. Is the story of a place of those who died in sin. Part of that place was made up of a place called paradise. Where they who were children of God died but because they had sinned and there was no sacrifice offered that would alleviate or remedy or appease God the Father for sin, they were separated from God at death. Jesus said, if you die in your sins, whether I go, you cannot come. Those in paradise were those who were to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. But that blood had not yet been shed. Now let me have you read, run these references because you need to know and understand. Turn to Hebrews 9 and verse 15. The Apostle Paul says, For this cause he's the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. God did not leave out Adam, Abraham, Noah, Isaac, Jacob, David. All of these had sinned while they were here on the earth. And because they sinned, when they died, they had to be separated from God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, for the eyes of the Lord, for the hand of those that are in a position to be a student of the Word of God are not those whose prayers will be heard because sin has separated them from God. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. Listen. But thy sins have separated between thee and thy God so that he will not hear. Sin separated us from God. When God told Adam not to eat of the forbidden fruit, and that day he ate, he would die. It was not physical death of which God, Christ, was speaking. It was a spiritual relationship. When Adam died, then he had, some, had somewhere to go. And so God had prepared hell for the devil and his angels. And when that preparation took place, he segmented or separated it into a place called Hades. And the word Hades is from a Greek word which means unseen. And in drawing a circle, part of which was made up of paradise. The other part, there was a great gulf. And then the third part was the Tartarus. Now, of these places, these were the ones who were waiting on the blood of Jesus Christ. And as they were waiting, they were anxiously anticipating. These are those, in Revelation, the sixth chapter, it was seen, as crying under altars, saying, O oh Lord God, how long will it be till thou avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? We know you're coming. We know and anticipate that it's going to be, but how long will it be? Christ did not fail to deliver one. Everyone who was promised deliverance had it. Now there are many passages that are taught which hide the teaching of the apostles on this subject and not allow us to look to the grave to see what is actually taking place there. And that God is really, like he states in Matthew 22, verse 33, I am the God of the living. Who are the living? Were they those who were alive only on the earth? Being dead and not a part of this body, they were said to still be living. The part of man that never dies was no longer under the control of Satan. After Jesus had gone to the Hadian world and having no longer been under his control did not cause them to cease to be. 
one of the pictures we see of Jesus in Revelation, the first chapter, and the 17th and the 18th verses, is that he had in his hands the keys of hell and death. Keys represent the authority, the rule, and the power. And when Jesus was going back to the Hadian world, he had said something to his disciples that had been misconstrued, and I hear a whole lot of times used, in funerals of those who are members of the body of Christ today, and it's totally out of context. Turn with me, if you will please, to John, and you will see that Jesus is speaking to his disciples and to them alone. John 14. Now you've heard these passages. You've probably been able to quote them for years. But what I want to do is show you what is being taught. That's not too hard to trouble. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many residing places or mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Jesus said, I got to go. I got to go and prepare a place for you. The place that I'm going to prepare has not been the place that was already prepared. Now the church of Christ is something that is indistinguishably different than any denomination that exists. You've heard this quoted time and time again, so we won't start with the 13th verse, but turn to Matthew, the 16th chapter, and let's look at the 18th verse. After Peter confessed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven... And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this truth I will build my church. And listen to the last part of this verse. And the gates of hell shall not provide, prevail against it. Now, the church in anticipation was hell. In the realm of Satan. For it was Satan's power, that was sin, that caused man to be disobedient. And because of his deceivery, deceivableness and trickery, man had fallen in sin. And there was no sacrifice that could have been offered that would extricate man from this place. So the Bible calls these people waiting captives. These people were held captivity captive. And therefore were there at the control of Satan instead of their desire and their ability to get out. Now there's another thing I want to establish before we get too far in the message. The time when this took place. If you turn to the book of Hebrews, the ninth chapter and the 27th verse, the apostle Paul writes, And as it is appointed unto man once to die, after that the judgment, we'll find out just exactly when a man is judged as to whether to go to heaven or to hell. It is taught, as though it reads, it is appointed unto man once to die and after the resurrection they will be judged. But that's not what the verse teaches. He said it is appointed unto man once to die and after death the judgment. Nothing is said of judgment in this text. It says that after death, man is judged. One of the old sages of the Old Testament, Job. You'll turn back to the book of Job, the 14th chapter. I want you to read with me the perplexity of Job, because in his painful state and condition, he was trying to find in his perplexity just why he was in the way he was. But the Bible says, verse 5, Job 14, verse 5, Seeing man's days are determined. Let me read that to you again. Seeing man's days are determined. God knows when you'll die. Keep going. The number of his months are with thee. 
Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. For there's hope of a tree. If it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die in the ground. Yet through the sin of water it will bud and bring forth abodes like a plant. But man dieth and wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the ghost. And where is he? As the waters fail from the sea and the flood decayeth and drieth up, so man lieth down and riseth not till the heavens be no more. They shall not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. Now, I don't know how people miss what Job is crying. But the truth of the matter is, we need to think that there is no way to change the place of our loved ones. And as the Roman Catholic Church teaches it through prayers, the impossibility is unbelievable. Solomon cries in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, about time. There's a time to reap, there's a time to sow, there's a time to live, and there's a time to die. Everything in its own time. God has appointed the months, the times, the years, the bounds. And man has to meet that appointment. There's a lot of people that brag about, well, I never obeyed God in my life. Well, there's coming a time, my friend, when you will. Whether you obey him to be baptized for the remission of sins remains maybe yet to be seen. But that you will obey him when the call of death comes your way from God has no question in anybody's mind. Now as we see the story of the rich man and Lazarus, they had already been judged. And they were separated. And no prayers of no priest or of anybody else could extricate the rich man from Tartarus. And no request of anybody in Tartarus could cause anybody to come back to or be involved with those in paradise. Because Lazarus says there's a great gulf fixed between us and we can't come from you to there nor can you come from there to us. The imperative is they that are there cannot come here. We that are here cannot go there. See, we're sitting here waiting. Now in the book of Isaiah, the 14th chapter, there's a lot of people that misunderstand what's being discussed. But the Bible starts out with saying, you're going to take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, how has the oppressor ceased and the golden city ceased? How did you get rid of this oppressor? How did you make these things go away? How is it that the golden opportunity took place? Well, you sinned. But the Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke, he that ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and nobody hinders it. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. And they break forth in singing. Why? Yea, the fir trees rejoice at thee and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since thou art laid down, no feller has come up against us. Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from their, from their thrones all the kings of nations. And they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? But thou become like unto us. Jesus went into the Hadean world. And as he went into the Hadean world, they were crying, Have you come down here to be like us? Jesus died in sin. The Bible says it, it, uh, God put upon him the sin of us all. He became sin who knew no sin. Having become sin, he could go to the Hadean world. Had Jesus not become sin when he died, he would have gone to paradise that already existed in the third heaven and would have never been able to go to the paradise in the heart of the earth. We hope you have profited from today's study of the mind of God. If you would like a tape of today's program, 
write to the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ, 384 East Midway Road, White City, Florida, 34982. Remember, never take man's word, only God's word. The Bible, demanding a book, chapter, and verse for everything you accept as belief. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of In Search of the Mind of God with Minister Joe Wilson. As we continue to grow the church and carry the legacy of Joe David Wilson, in this next segment you will hear sermons from the current preachers here at the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. Good evening. It's good to see everybody here tonight. Tonight, I want to talk a little bit about our circle of concern and our circle of influence here within the church. Now, a few weeks back, we went through and we kind of discussed a little bit about our perception on how things are presented to us. We see things the way that they are. We'll see an old lady over here versus a young lady. But the same picture can be viewed both ways, depending on which way you look at it. Just as Paul the Apostle had gone through and worked with the Jews, he had talked about how he discussed one way, but all the Jews came around and they actually caused problems for Paul the Apostle as a result of it. Now, an excellent way to become more self-aware regarding our own degree of proactivity is to look where we focus our time and our energy. We each have a wide range of concerns here in life. Our health, our children, our problems at work, national debt, nuclear war, you name it. The list goes on and on and on for these issues. Now, we could separate these things in which we have no particular mental or emotional involvement by creating what is called a circle of concern, which is our circle of concern. As we look at those things within our circle of concern, it becomes more apparent that there are some things over which we have no real control and others are something that we can actually do about. We can identify those concerns in the latter group by circumscribing them in the smaller circle, which is called our influence, the things that we can control as a result of it. By determining which of these two circles is the focus most of our time and energy, we can discover much about the degree of our proactivity as a result of it. So a proactive people focus their efforts on the circle of influence. They work on things that they do something about, or they can do something about. The nature of their energy is typically very positive. It's enlarging, it's magnifying, and causing their circle of influences to actually increase as a result of it. Reactive people, on the other hand, focus their efforts on their circle of concern. They focus on the weakness of other people, the problems in the environment, and the circumstances over which they have no control over the situation. Their focus results in a lot of blaming and accusing type of attitudes, very reactive and harsh type languages, and increased feelings of victimization. The negative energy generated by that focus, combined with neglect in areas they could actually do something about, cause their circle of influence to actually shrink because of it. That's the reactive. So go to the next one. As long as we're working in a circle of concern, we empower the things within it to control us. We aren't talking about the proactive, proactive initiative necessary to affect the positive change. Now let's go over some examples here of the circles of concern. So some of our circles of concern when we go through and we talk about Christ is the lack of knowledge that we may have about speaking about the Lord not feeling confident enough to get up here and actually preach and teach and be able to spread the gospel, and not feeling comfortable to be able to go out into the public and talk to somebody at the grocery store when you have a few minutes and you talk to somebody behind you about the Lord or the gospel or something in the Bible or maybe even a topic that you might overhear just in public conversation. These are things in our circle of concern. As long as we focus on our shortcomings, we accomplish nothing except increasing our own feelings of inadequacy and helplessness to reinforce our lack of confidence. 
It's only when we work in our circle of influence, which is when we focused on ourselves, that we begin to create that positive type energy that will change ourselves and our outlook as we go through Christ. By working on ourselves, instead of worrying about conditions being just right, or somebody else bringing up the conversation about God or a specific event such as baptism, and with this knowledge, we can influence the conditions. We have that confidence to be able to go and speak about it and actually bring up the topics rather than them being brought up and then we just kind of interject a a concern or a topic or a solution as a result of it. So keep going. Sorry. One more. Keep going. (laughs) So perfect example. We have Billy Bob here, and then we have one more. We have Stan the Man. So Billy Bob, he goes through and he actually studies. He took the proactive approach to go through and to learn the gospel. And he did what is right by learning and becoming confident in what needs to be preached. He was ready to rock and roll, so to speak. However, Stan the man over here, when asked about the Bible, he was a little bit nervous. He couldn't really answer the questions. And he's backed into a corner, and he's not confident when he discusses the Lord. Especially when the Mormons come up and they bring their, their watchtower Bible, and they start talking about it. You know, some people here, they're going to get really nervous, and they're just going to cower down and say, okay, whatever you say. And they're not going to be able to have that confidence to stand up for the Lord. Keep going. Next slide. However, there's a third type of person that becomes very selfish and very overconfident. Because of this position, such as wealth, role, or relationship, there are some circumstances in which a person's circle of influence is larger than his or her concern. This situation reflects on a self-emotional myopia. And I'm going to use that word as a myopia because whenever you go to the eye doctor, my daughter just went here, that is a, a, a condition of short-sightedness where you can only see just what's in front of you and not far, far away. So you often hear about this, like I said, when you go to the doctor, but it's also a lack of imagination, a foresight, or even intellectual insight. Of course, that's what the, the Webster Dictionary defined myopia as the additional pieces, which I thought was very apropos to this conversation right here. So they may not have, they may not have to prioritize to use their influence, but proactive people have a circle of concern that's at least as big as their circle of influence, accepting the responsibility to use their influence effectively. It's very important to think about that. Now, what are some of the controls that we have as a result of this? We have, as you know, direct control, indirect control, and obviously the last one that everybody loves, no control at all, right? (laughs) So the problems we we face in one of these areas is direct control. Problems involving our own behavior. Indirect control, problems involving other people's behavior, and no control, problems we can't do anything about, such as our past or even situational realities. The proactive approach puts the first step in the solution of all three kinds of problems within the present circle of this type of influence. So direct control. Problems are solved by working on our habits. Why, you may ask? because they're in our circle of influence. It's something that we can control. Indirect control, our problems are solved by changing our methods of influence. Most people have about three to four different types of these methods that they use, and they usually start with, first they usually start with reasoning. If this doesn't work, then they start fighting. Then if this doesn't work, then ultimately it goes to the flight mentality. Think of that in any type of situation, whether it's a friend, a coworker, somebody you meet you know, out there on the street, and you start talking with them. First thing you do is you start reasoning with them. Hey, come to church. You need to be baptized to be saved. Usually it escalates a little bit more. It goes to the fighting stage. You might argue about it. You might say, you need to be saved. You need to be baptized. I'm saved Jesus has a, or God and I have a, a special spot together. We, we know each other, you know? And then ultimately, like I say, it goes to the flight. We agree to disagree, 
and you go your own separate direction as a result of it. So think of these situations in your life where people resort to these three types of controls in this situation. You begin to speak with others about the Bible, usually come off nice, very friendly, and want to tell how they got saved, right? Have Jesus in their heart, or even some other excuse about them, and, they, and God having an understanding. As the conversation goes on, people resort to two or three on the list, like I said. How often in your own experience have you experienced this type of control? Now, the last one on the list, obviously, is no control. This is something that everyone fears about. Now, who here likes to be out of control? Anybody like to be out of control? No? You like to control your own destiny? All right. So, we like to be in control when we drive down the road. We like to have control of our checking accounts. And we like to have control of our decisions in life. But no control problems involve taking the responsibility to change the line on the bottom of our face to a smile, perhaps. To genuinely and peacefully accept these problems and learn to live with them, even though we don't like them. In this way, we do not empower these problems to control us. Go to the next slide. Whether a problem is direct, indirect, or no control at all, we have our hands, we have in our hands the first step to the solution. Changing our habits, changing our methods of influence, and changing the way we see no control problems are all within our circle of influence. Next one. So here I've got a couple of verses that, that talk about our no, no control here. In Isaiah 41.10, which was read earlier, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And in Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And then in Philippians 4, 6, verse 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, let's talk about the expanding circle of our influence that we have here. It's inspiring to realize that in choosing our response to circumstance, we powerfully affect our circumstance. When we change the part of our chemical formula, we change the nature of the results. Think about this for a minute. You change the chemical formula of something. Think of this as like baking, right? If you have baking cookies and you put in your cookies and they turn out flat, probably need some baking soda in there to get them to rise up a little bit. But just that little bit of altering and changing the amount of baking soda in those cookies cause them to either rise up or stay flat on the pan as a result of it. I know I've done that a couple times and had some pretty flat cookies. <laughs> they still taste good though. <laughs> Let me see if I can try to put this in the perspective a little bit more. If there are some people who interpret proactive to mean pushy, aggressive, and sensitive, but that really isn't the case at all. Proactive people usually aren't pushy. They're smart, they're value-driven, they read reality, and they know what is needed to kind of get things done. Now, I know everybody's going to kind of roll their eyes here, but I'm going to use this as an example. How many of us have heard of Gandhi? Yeah? In the Indian culture, Gandhi, right? So while his accusers were in the legislative chambers characterizing him because he wouldn't join their circle of concern, rhetoric condemning the British Empire for the Indian people, Gandhi was actually out in the rice paddies. He was quietly and slowly expanding his circle of influence with his field laborers. A groundswell of support, of trust, of confidence followed him through the countryside. Though he held no political office or position, through compassion, courage, fasting, and moral persuasion, he eventually brought England to its knees, breaking the political domination of 300 million people with the power of his greatly expanded circle of influence as a result of it. Now, who does that remind us of? Now, think about this approach. Was this somebody that was proactive? 
He was characterized or criticized by others. He was out with the commoners. He quietly and slowly expanded his circle of influence. He had a groundswell of support and confidence and trust that followed him through the countryside by his disciples and his common people. If you guessed Jesus, you're probably correct. Actually, you are correct. <laughs> it's amazing the lesson can be taught by his actions in the story we read in the Bible and how we can apply this to our daily influence in others. Go to the next slide. So the haves and the bees. One way to determine keep going. One way to determine which circle of our concern is to, to distinguish between the haves and the bees is the circle of concern filled with the haves. Now, we've heard of the haves. I've got something, right? I'll be happy when I have my house paid off. If only I had a boss who wasn't such a dictator. If only I had more patient husband. If I had more obedient kids. If I had my college degree. If I could just have more time to myself, all my problems would be fixed, right? However, if you look at it from a different perspective... There's a circle of influence that's called the bees. I can be more patient. I can be wise. I can be loving. It's that type of character focus that's very important to us. So anytime we think the problem is actually out there, that thought is actually the problem. We empower what's out there to control us. The change in paradigm is outside in. What's out there has to change before we can change, which is very interesting. The proactive approach is the change from the inside out. Be different, and by being different, to affect positive change in what's out there. I can be more resourceful. I can be more diligent. I can be more creative, and I can even be more cooperative as a result. I read and study the Bible to be more prepared. I can practice speaking with others about Christ. And I can be anything within the church here to be able to represent being able to preaching, standing up on the table, being able to lead prayer. I can do anything to be prepared and have that proactive type of focus there. Now, I've got an interesting story to kind of tie this together a little bit. And it was in the Old Testament. Who here has heard of the story of Joseph? Yeah, you probably heard it a couple times. But I want to read this to you. And, and now that I've got this understanding and foundation from behind the scenes, I want you to read the story and think about that perspective on the previous information that I've given you tonight. In the story of Joseph, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. Go to the next slide. At the age of 17. You can imagine how easy it would have been for him to languish in self-pity as a servant to Potiphar, to focus the weakness of his brothers and his captors on all that he didn't have. But Joseph was proactive. He worked on the B portion of things. And within a short period of time, he was running Potiphar's household. He was in charge of all that Potiphar had because the trust was so high. Then that day he came to Joseph. Then that day when Joseph was caught in a difficult situation, he refused to compromise his integrity. As a result, he was unjustly imprisoned for 13 years. But again, he was proactive. He worked on the inner circle of being instead of having. And soon he was running the prison and eventually the entire nation of Egypt, second only behind Pharaoh. Now I know this idea is a dramatic paradigm shift for many people as a result of it. It is so much easier to blame other people, conditioning or conditions, for their own stagnant situation. But we're responsible, think of that word, response able to control our lives to powerfully influence our circumstances by working on the be and what we are now if i have a problem in my marriage what do i really gain by confessing my wife's sins but am i really responsible i make myself but i'm saying i'm not responsible sorry i make myself basically a powerless victim as a result of it i immobilize my myself in a negative type of situation. I also diminish my ability to influence her 
my nagging, my accusations, my critical attitude only makes her feel validated in her own weakness as a result of it. You see how this kind of compounds the, the effect there? My criticism, my criticism is worse than the conduct I want to try to correct in the relationship. My ability to positively impact the situation basically withers and dies as a result of it. If I really want to improve my situation, I can work on the one thing which I have control over, which is myself. I can stop trying to shape up my wife, like the classic term shape up or ship out kind of thing, and work on my own weaknesses. I can focus on being a great marriage partner, a source of unconditional love and support. Hopefully, my wife will feel the power of proactive example and respond in kind as a result of it. But whether she does or doesn't, the most positive way that I can influence my situation is to work on myself and my being. Oops. Oops, go back. Sorry. There are so many ways to work in the circle of influence. To be a better listener. To be a more loving marriage partner. To be a better student. To be more cooperative and a dedicated employee. Sometimes the most proactive thing we can do is just be happy. Just genuinely smile at people. Happiness, unlike unhappiness, is a proactive choice. Just like us coming to church is a proactive choice. Things that we have in control to do. These things like the weather that, are, that our circle of influence will never include. But as proactive people, we can carry our own physical or social weather with us. We can be happy and accept those things that at present we can't control while we focus on efforts on the things that we actually can control. Now, we may be a small church here, but we continue to grow our circle of influence by the means of the internet, the radio, outreach to the community, and also help spread the gospel throughout the world. Now, if you think about it, it's unimaginable how many people we have indirectly reached and touched and have actually brought to Christ throughout the world that we have never met or physically even heard of. Think about the people in the Philippines and the people on the radio program that listen to us and even the internet here when they go on there and watch it. It's very important to, to think about that. Now, the other end of the stick. Before we totally shift our life focus, uh, or, sorry, before we totally shift our focus to our circle of influence, we need to consider two things in our circle of concern to merit this type of deeper thought, which are consequences and mistakes. While we're free to choose our own actions, we are not free to choose the consequences on those actions. Consequences are governed, obviously, by the natural law. They are out in the circle of concern. We can decide to step in front of a fast-moving train, but we cannot decide what will happen when the train actually hits us. That's the natural state of law. We can decide to be dishonest in our business dealings. While the social consequences of that decision may vary depending on whether or not we're actually found out, the natural con consequences to our basic character are a fixed result. Our behavior is governed by these principles. Living in harmony with them brings positive consequences. Violating them brings negative consequences. We are free to choose our response in any situation, but in doing so, we choose the attendant consequence. When we pick up the end of the stick, we pick up the other. Undoubtedly, there have been times in each of our lives when we have picked up what the latter felt was the wrong end of the stick. You like that term, that, that phrase that people use to get the wrong end of the stick? Of course, we have brought consequences we would rather not have lived, with, lived without. If we had the choice to do it over again, we would make it differently. We call these choices mistakes. They happen. Think of it as sin. It happens to us sometimes daily, sometimes once a month, every now and then. It happens. For those, we call those mistakes, and they are the second thing that merits our deeper thought. For those filled with regret, perhaps, the most needful exercise of proactivity is to realize that the past mistakes are also out there in the circle of concern. We can't recall them. We can't undo them. We can't control the consequences that came as a result. Now, question. 
How many of us go to prayer whenever we make a mistake? Sometimes we make a mistake. Sometimes we realize it. Sometimes if it's a big mistake, we'll go to prayer immediately. Sometimes the small mistake, we just kind of throw it off to the side and say, hey, I'll, I'll deal with that later, you know? Now, the proactive approach to a mistake is to acknowledge it instantly. You have to instantly say, hey, you know what? Man, I made a mistake. We need to correct and learn from these mistakes. This literally turns a failure into a success. Now, a lot of you have heard of the guy from IBM. His name was T.J. Watson. He, he had a, a saying on here. And he said that success is on the far side of failure. Think about that. Success is on the far side of failure. That's a complete 180-degree term. But not to acknowledge a mistake and not to correct it and not learn from it is a mistake of a different order altogether. It usually puts a person on a self-deceiving, self-justifying path and often involves rationalization or what are referred to as rational-type lies to ourselves and to others. The second mistake, this second mistake, this cover-up, empowers the first, giving it a disproportionate importance that cause a far deeper injury to yourself and to your type of reputation. It is not whether others do or even own up to their mistake that hurts us the most. It's our response to those things. Chasing after the poisonous snake that bites us will only drive the poison through the entire system. It's far better to take measures to immediately get the poison out than to chase after the snake, right? You know how they always say to stop what you're doing, put on a tourniquet, keep the poison from getting there. You don't want to get up and start running and go chasing after that snake because it's just going to go through your system and take you out that much quicker. Our response to any mistake affects the quality of the next moment. It's important to immediately admit and correct our mistakes so that they have no power over that next moment and we ultimately are empowered again as a result of it. Now, making and keeping commitments. At the very heart of our circle of influence, our ability to make and meet commitments and promises. These commitments will make ourselves and others and our integrity to those commitments in the essence and clearest manifestation of our proactivity. It is also the essence of our growth. Through our human endowments and our self-awareness and conscious, we become conscious of areas of weaknessness, areas for improvement, areas of talent that conscious. We become conscious, I'm sorry, uh, areas of talent that could be developed, areas that need to be changed or eliminated from our lives. Then as we recognize and use our imagination and independent will to act on awareness, making promises, setting goals, and being true to them, we build strength and character. The beginning that makes possible every other positive thing in our lives. It is here where we find two ways to put ourselves in control of our lives immediately. We can make a promise and keep it, or we can set a goal and work to achieve it. As we make and keep commitments, even small commitments, we begin to establish an inner integrity that gives us the awareness of self-control and courage and strength to accept more responsibility for our own lives. By making and keeping promises to ourselves and others, little by little, our honor becomes greater than our actual moods that we have. The power to make and keep commitments to ourselves is the essence of developing the basic habits of effectiveness. Knowledge, skill, and desire are all within our control. We can work on any type, we can work on anyone to improve the balance of the three. As the area of intersection becomes larger, we more deeply internalize the principles upon which the habits are based and create the strength of character to move us in a balanced way towards increasing effectiveness in our lives. Now, by following this advice that we previously discussed, it allows us to have the opportunity by first making a choice and moving towards Christ by studying the Bible and applying these principles we have learned in this lesson today. By working on a circle of influence, just as Christ did while he was here on the earth, we can have control 
we can give control to God and put our faith in Him. Our circle of influence should be, built, should be filled with the bees to be able to recognize that the problem is not out there or somebody else's problem, and that change needs to happen from inside out in order to recognize, learn, and correct from our mistakes. Now, if you have had mistakes in your life and you would like to make that change from the haves to the bees and give your control to Christ by learning from his example, I urge you to take this opportunity by coming up to the front during the song as we're about to see the sing by becoming baptized through the immersion of water and trusting your faith in the Lord. If you enjoyed today's sermon, Read our regularly updated blog for insightful articles by visiting us online at pslchurchofchrist.com. If you would like to watch previous sermons, they can be viewed on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash pslchurchofchrist. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pslchurchofchrist. Or if you prefer to visit us in person to learn more on Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m., as well as Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. And you can visit us at 384 East Midway Road next to Walgreens. See you next week.